So Richard Leonard, Jesuit priest from Australia, your latest book, Hatch, Match and Dispatch, Catholic Guide to the Sacrament, and we're looking now at the Sacrament of Marriage. Marriage has probably had the most complex history that we've got of any of the sacraments. It was, of course, um, the last in, and most Catholics don't know this. It did not finally become a sacrament until 1184, which is incredibly late. We had six sacraments, and for a whole lot of reasons, the early church, or the medieval church, wanted seven to mirror the seven days of creation. And um, marriage had gone through a bit of a difficulty. It had been a civil institution as far as we can work out. The church wasn't heavily involved in civil marriages early on. And in fact, the blessing of a priest comes in the third and fourth centuries. And then the church starts to get more and more involved in the regulation of marriages because they had a priest who could read and write and he registered marriages. There were blessings in the church, but sometimes we've got evidence they only happened on the steps of the church because it wasn't considered to be a sacrament. So they didn't come into the church. The priest would bless the couple on the steps of the church outside. So God's blessing, but on this secular institution, it's a very complex history. But in 1184, eventually, we uh, say that um, marriage is a sacrament. And thank God, because it's the one that celebrates sexual love. It's the one that celebrates lay people, because the ministers of the sacrament of marriage, of, of marriage are the couple, not the priest, not the deacon, not the bishop, or the authorised witness for the church, of which there can be lay people who are authorised. It also uh, celebrates that this is in the give and take of, of life, and it's the great gift of children. You know, the number of people who get married, not everyone, but most people who get married, get married to have a family. And so there's a wonderful generative nature where these children come forward as the great flowering of the grace of this sacrament. And um, so this is very powerful. It's very strong indeed. In the book, I go through some of this history and I establish why we got a bit stuck because we got terribly hung up on, on sex and whether sex could be a constitutive element of marriage, but there is. If you don't consummate your marriage, then it's not a full and true sacrament. And I sort of uh, have a bit of fun with that in the book because I say, you know, when I declare at the weddings I do, I now, you know, chain and jack a husband and wife and then I father, son, and Holy Spirit. Well, that's actually not strictly true. It's not true until Jane and Jack have sexual intercourse for the first time after their marriage. And I like that idea. I love the fact that the giving of the body is the last act of this sacrament. And in a church that has had such, sometimes perceived and in reality has had very negative things to say about sexuality, we have a sacrament where actually it's a constitutive element of the sacrament. And I think we should celebrate that much more, that loving, appropriate sexual desire in marriage is a gift given by God for us to flourish as human beings in the world. Mind you, I have a go at the wedding industry in uh, your country and mine, and I don't know much about Irish weddings, but I imagine they might be a bit similar. I know that um, in using euros, um, that Australian weddings now cost an average of 34,000 euros to get married. That's an awful lot of money and it's getting out of control. And sometimes there's a clash between the couple and the church because in every sacrament, what we do is we're celebrating Christ, but the couple want to celebrate their love. So they sometimes will meet a priest who'll give them a very hard time because A, they're living together before they get married. I don't know why we give couples who are living together a hard time. They're trying to fix it up. They're trying to regularize what the church considers to be irregular. I get them down the aisle. Secondly, they're trying to do this in Christ's name, though they may not be able to talk the talk or walk the walk, but walk with them. Don't give them a hard time. And thirdly, it's about where you start, not about where you finish. So 
is this couple here with mixed motivations to get married? Is the couple bring their baby along? Mixed motivations for the baptism? Yes. But watch where Christ will go with this sacrament. So I have a simple attitude to this. I baptize anything that moves. I marry anything that moves. And I bury anything that doesn't. <laughs> and I leave the rest up to amazing grace. Now, I'm being facetious there, but you know the point I'm making. It is Christ inviting this couple to have their baby baptised, Christ inviting them to get married in his name, Christ who's saying, uh, let me receive your dead. That's a wonderful moment. Let's do that as generously as the Lord went after people in his own day who didn't tick the neat religious boxes and uh, who were often on the fringe of his own religious community. I also have a go, and just for a bit of fun, I have a go at um, weddings uh, some of the things that are sung at weddings. And before I became a priest, I used to be asked to sing at weddings to make some money to get through uni. And uh, I was asked to sing some very funny things. Um, regularly, I was asked to sing, um, I don't know how to love him, from Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> and I used to say to the bride, well, if you don't, you shouldn't be here. <laughs> and if you think about the rest of the chorus, and I've had so many men before in very many ways. He's just one more. I don't think that's what we want to say at the sacrament of marriage. I really don't. Um, but I was asked to sing Another One Bites the Dust. We've only just begun. Um, but the best one wasn't a wedding I sang at, but one I presided at last year in Sydney. Well, while we were signing the registers, uh, I didn't know it was coming. I, mustn't, I must have missed it in the booklet. But uh, we're signing the registers. We've done the sacrament of marriage. We're about to send them down the aisle. And next minute, this lovely guy on a guitar starts singing Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Well, I could hardly bear the laughter. And now there are some people who say, well, we shouldn't be having those songs anyway. And they might be right. But I do think we've got to walk with our young people especially. Because my experience is if they have a good, welcoming, generous celebration of that sacrament, They'll be back to baptise their kids because they will trust the grace and they receive the grace. So I want to be as generous as I can. The film that I pick up here is um, Four Weddings and a Funeral. And uh, I go through a few others that are rich um, and uh, look at that because, you know, it's amazing how people refer to that film so often. And then I use one more film, which is Hotel Rwanda, which is a very tough, very confronting film. But it's about probably the about the genocide in Rwanda. But it's about a husband and wife who wouldn't leave each other because, as they say at one stage, I didn't take my vows to an idea. I took my vows to you. And she won't leave him, even though he wants to get her out um, for her safety and the children's safety. And I, for my money, I can remember seeing that film being so moved by what a statement of Christian marriage, and they are Christians in the film, uh, what are the Catholic in the film, how powerful it was. I'm not taking my vows to an idea. I'm taking my vows to you. Well, as a theologian, we go one step further and say, actually, Christ's in the centre of that because wherever there's sacrificial love, which is what marriage is all about, there Christ is present. And it's a wonderful ideal and reality in terms of the grace, but the indissolubility of marriage can become something that's very painful because we are frail human beings and marriages break up and people do change. Children can often be the collateral damage. It's a very difficult thing because in some ways you wonder, well, 
Christ is there in the sacrament and then say somebody, the marriage breaks up, usually it's one person doesn't want it. It's rare enough that two decide, oh, we've had enough. And you wonder then, like, blessed dilemma, like, where is Christ now? Whose side is Christ on? You know, it's painful, isn't it? Well, I think that uh, all the sacraments are given into frail people's hands and we do the best we can, but sometimes we fail. There are people who never live up to their baptismal promise. There are people, because they've been reconciled to God, then become very unforgiving people, so they don't pay it forward, so that sacrament seems to break down at that point. We're people who have presided over the Eucharist, priests who have presided over the Eucharist, who abuse children. Like, that's a travesty of that sacrament. Now, it's very rare, but, uh, well, it's a small number of clergy, but that's happened, and we all know it's happened. Um, So we could go through each of the sacraments, but we get to marriage, and I think we've punished people. And I go into some detail about divorce and remarriage, and I certainly go into detail about annulment, because most people don't know too much about annulment. And they say it's Catholic divorce, but an annulment is not a Catholic divorce. Annulment says the church made a mistake in doing your wedding because it was never a true Catholic sacrament in the first place. And I go into the legitimacy of the children and all of, and try and bring people up to speed about some very basic theology of marriage in a way that might make them feel more at home and more welcome. I had a person in my parish in Sydney who, when I first arrived 11 years ago, she didn't come to Holy Communion, but she came to daily Mass, but didn't come to Holy Communion. And after watching this for six or eight months, I got to know her a little bit and I did ask her, I said, look, I really noticed and I don't want to pry and I don't want to be inappropriate and if you'd prefer not to answer the question, that's fine. But I noticed that you never go, you come to Mass every day, but you never go to Holy Communion. And she said, well, I'm divorced. And I said, but are you remarried? And she said, no, my husband has remarried, but I haven't. And I said, you're perfectly welcome to go to Holy Communion because even officially in the strict teaching of the church, you have done nothing to be excluded from the table of the Lord. And she told me that a previous parish she'd been in, the priest had told her she wasn't welcome. And so she, the next morning, on a Tuesday morning, I can still see it, I can see her coming forward for the first time. She went to communion for the first time in 16 years. The next morning with tears going down her face. Now she was given wrong information, which affected the life of grace for that woman. Now, I'm not saying there aren't other more complex situations where they have to be dealt with very, very pastorally. And the present Pope and uh, the Bishop's Conference, the Synod on Marriage Life, they knew that this is a very tough ground where we have to hold on to the indissolvability of marriage, but at the same time deal with people who are in very complex situations and informed conscience, um, knowing what we're doing, why we're doing it, the life of grace, and where Christ would be on the question, are all things that have to come in. And I think they really are a case by case. They need very good, generous, compassionate pastors to be able to deal with people in these situations. And Pope Francis is saying that in Amoris Laetitia and in the famous footnote, if people read it, there is room for a, an analysis of exactly what you're saying, the, the different situations and in discernment with the community. Yes, because otherwise we use sacraments to reward the righteous and to lock out the sinner. And I thought the Lord said in Luke's Gospel, I have come, the well do not need a doctor, but I've come for the sick. 